Hey man, we're listening to Trump going to jail. Ooh, two hours ago, Brian Tyler Cohen. Trump makes huge miscalculation against special counsel. Ha 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 Glenn, no one ever lost money betting on Trump not knowing when to shut up. He took to Truth Social, which is the site that he created, uh, where he just publicly admits to crimes, and he called out the DOJ, writing, when will you invade the other president's homes in search of documents, uh, which are voluminous, which they took with them, but not nearly so openly and transparently as I did. Now, just to be clear, it is the last part that I'm interested in where he admits to taking documents. If you're special counsel Jack Smith, how does this post factor into your case There's against evidence. Trump? You know, this is like Exhibit evidence a. from heaven. And <laughs> maybe Trump should rename his third-rate social media platform Confession Social. Because, you know, I would print out all of these posts by Donald Trump. I would slap a government exhibit sticker on it. And I would offer it as incriminating evidence at the inevitable criminal trial of Donald Trump. Yes. It is remarkable. Better get him while Donald he's still Trump got him up there. Admitted that he openly and transparently stole documents that didn't belong to him, and we know he unlawfully concealed them at the White House. And you know that makes Jack Smith's job all the easier because one of the things, one of the elements of the crime of theft of government documents is that he stole them knowingly. And what he could have done is said, hey, you think I packed up my own boxes at the White House? I didn't tell people what to put in those boxes. They packed them up, they transported them to Mar-a-Lago, and I didn't know what was in them. He has now taken that defense away from himself. He's made the job of Jack Smith, having to prove that he knowingly and intentionally stole documents. It makes it that much easier. So I hope Donald Trump continues to post early and often because he is digging his own legal grave deeper and deeper. I, I know this guy's a sloppy mess, but all kidding aside, is there not a lawyer there to tell him you know, not to admit the crimes on the internet? <laughs> you know, there were lots of cabinet officials that told Donald Trump, don't do this, don't do that, don't do the other thing, and he did that. You know, he, he has no sense, um, he has no concern for the rule of law or the good of the American people, and he apparently has no reservation about just admitting to crime out in the open. And here's the thing, Brian. It's been working for him pretty well all along. Right. The man was an unabated crime wave while in the Oval Office, and he's yet to be held accountable. So, still, who are we to say it is stupid of him to continue to confess the crime in the hard slide of day? The man hasn't been held accountable for any of it yet. Yeah, you do bring up a good point. You know, he, he does have this, there is this notion that if he admits to crimes in broad daylight, that they somehow aren't illegal, like, like as if crime should only happen under the cloak of darkness, and, and that's been a recurring theme uh, for Trump that we've seen over the last few years. Yeah, I mean, if you rob a bank and you get caught, um, you'll be prosecuted. If you rob a bank and you run around announcing, I robbed the bank, I robbed the bank, it does make everybody sort of scratch their head and say, why is this person admitting to crimes out loud? You know, it will cause some prosecutors, I'll tell you, Brian, 
to think, does this person need a psychiatric or psychological screening yeah. to see whether he's competent to stand trial or perhaps has an insanity defense? But, you know, it does make people pause because it's not our sort of common understanding that people run around bragging about their crimes. Donald Trump does, and somehow it's kept him out of trouble, at least criminal trouble. Yeah. Well, you know, Trump has, in recent weeks, we spoke about this for the Executive last episode privilege. that we did, but Trump has ramped up his attacks against Jack Smith. I know we talked last time about how he was attacking uh, his wife. Uh, this pretty much follows the same strategy that Trump has employed um, against against the angry Democrat, Robert Mueller, uh, who wasn't so much a Democrat as he explained last time, as he was a lifelong Republican. Um, he's posted a raft of truths to try and undermine Jack Smith's credibility and try and intimidate him online. In May of this year, at The Hague, um, Jack Smith was trying a case. He convicted two high-profile figures. One of the charges was intimidation during criminal proceedings. So, two questions here. First, is there an equivalent charge in the U.S. Uh, that Jack Smith could look into here? And second, how does Jack Smith's path, focusing on that topic, topic uh, specifically factor in here? Donald Trump's threat against Jack Smith's family members might very well support an obstruction of justice charge. What is he doing? He tries to corruptly interfere in the administration of justice. And obstructing justice is a 20-year federal felony. It might also constitute interfering or impeding with the official duties of a government employee or official. There are any number of crimes that might be brought as a result of Donald Trump's really ill-advised attacks on the family members of special counsel Jack Smith. And, you know, Jack Smith, the more you learn about him, like that uh, information you just brought to our attention about how he was prosecuting similar crimes at The Hague, you know, he seems to have a spine of fear. He seems to be a real, without fear or favor kind of guy. He has gone after Republican politicians and the Democrats in his time as head of the public integrity section of the Department of Justice. It feels like he's the right man for the job, and again, I think this is a real miscalculation of Donald Trump somehow thinks that he is going to um, intimidate or deter Jack Smith from bringing the crimes that are supported by the evidence. You know, I think Donald Trump, Trump has got another thing coming. Okay, so let's switch gears here. Uh, we have some brand new news out that Stuart Rose, who's the leader of the Oath Keepers, was found guilty of seditious conspiracy. If he was taking his cue from Donald Trump, then how could a mid-level defendant be guilty and yet not the guy at the top? Is, is this not like saying that a drug dealer on some street corner is guilty but not the drug lord? So if I tell you, hey, this is like training and how you can get pro art skills in 2023, that's what you do now, get a coupon and evolve, you may say, nah, I'm good, I can get everything off YouTube, but can you, can you get to pro art skills within one year? Students have evolved for doing it. Why not you? Why not you? You love making art, you want to share with the world, let's help show you. Drug dealer on some street corner is guilty, but not the drug lord. This is an historic verdict, no doubt about it. The federal government doesn't often bring to visit conspiracy charges. Last time in 2009, it was the federal government. They were brought out in Michigan and then failed. That was back in 2010 to 2012. This should implicate Donald Trump, right? Because we just want to hit foot soldiers who seem to have been doing his bidding. 
But a seditious conspiracy means um, it's an agreement between two or more people to commit a crime and then one overt act, doing one thing in the direction of the commission of that crime. But there really was no evidence to do the trial. I sat through all seven weeks of the trial showing that Donald Trump was part of this seditious conspiracy. Stuart Rose marshaled all of his oath keepers to try to violently overthrow the government. But one of the things that actually cuts against um, this conviction implicating Donald Trump is Stuart Rose said all along, listen, Trump, stand up, invoke the insurrection act so we can come in and violently deny Joe Biden his election win. And if you don't see that, we, the Oath Keepers, will take matters into our own hands and do it ourselves. Well, we know, Brian, that Donald Trump never did invoke the Insurrection Act. So actually, the way the evidence developed at trial... Why didn't he invoke the Insurrection Act? argument that Donald Trump was part of this conspiracy. Did Donald Trump incite the attack on the Capitol? And is that a crime? All day long. And those are some of the charges that I expect will be coming courtesy of Jack Smith. Okay, so I want to come about this a little bit of a different way. Rhodes joined a guy named Jeremy Bertino, who was the former leader of the Proud Boys. Uh, he was also found guilty of seditious conspiracy. Does having these two dominoes fall make it easier or more palatable or more evident that the higher-ups then, including Donald Trump, are, are charged or found guilty of something like seditious conspiracy? So, you know, the higher-ups, that's still an open question. But here's what these verdicts do. Um, these verdicts send a couple of really important messages. One, these verdicts are a victory for the rule of law over lawlessness. These verdicts are also a victory of facts over propaganda, disinformation, and alternative facts. Because these five defendants went into this trial and tried to convince the jury that they were patriots. They were trying to set right a stolen election, a rigged election. And they were doing the patriotic thing. And by their verdict, the jury said, no, y'all are not patriots, y'all are traitors. In substance, that's what this jury the other thing that these verdicts do that's really important is they will stiffen the spine of some and they will weaken the spine of others. What do I mean by that? They will stiffen the spine of the high DOJ officials who took a chance on bringing seditious conspiracy charges. This, this was not a sure winner for the federal prosecutors, but they won. That will embolden other you know, decisions that are close calls that have to be made at the upper echelons of the Department of Justice. These signs will be weakened. Every other defendant who is now pending trial in a seditious conspiracy case, because remember, this trial was only against half of the Oath Keepers in that military stack that we all sort of infamously saw breaching the Capitol, right? The other half is still pending trial in seditious conspiracy cases, as are the Proud Boys. You may see dominoes start to fall. People are going to are going to say, "Look, the jury just convicted the oath keepers of seditious conspiracy for open or justice twenty year prison terms. I'm going to cut my losses. I'm going to plead guilty. I'm going to cooperate. I'm going to tell the prosecutors what I know about not only what my fellow oath keepers or my fellow proud boys did, but I'm going to bring it into the Willard War Room, and I'm going to tell the prosecutors what Roger Stone did." 
what Steve Bannon did, what Mike Flynn did, what Rudy Giuliani did, and maybe that then works its way up to Mark Meadows and Jeffrey Clark and John Eastman and, you know, the head insurrectionist, Donald Trump. Yeah. Hey, if you're a business owner or entrepreneur, then I want you to understand something, that the demand for virtual speakers is huge right now. In fact, the demand is actually Donald Trump. Yeah. Now, that, that's how it impacts uh, these people on the legal front, but what about, what about the whole far-right militia culture moving forward? Do you think that these verdicts make membership less appealing, or on the flip side, do you think that it actually entrenches their beliefs and then they just get stronger? I think it does both. I think to the extent that you are a critical thinker and you're a critical thinker who is filled with hate and prejudice and xenophobia and misogyny and the rest of it, if you're a critical thinker, you might think twice before joining one of these, you know, nationalist, white supremacist organizations like the Oath Keepers. That their membership is rife with critical thinking in, in the first place. So, Right. So that's what I said. If you're a person, you can be a hateful person and be a critical thinker and say, you know what, uh, maybe I was gravitating toward the Oath Keepers, but it doesn't feel like such a good idea right now because what I will say is convicting the head of the, the, El the, the Oath Keepers, Elmer Stewart Rhodes, a disbarred Yale lawyer, it will have a ripple effect. Come here, meanies. Come here, little chuckers, chuckers. It may actually deter others from going out Come and joining meanies. similar groups. Come but as you say, it. it will probably inspire others. Come Why? Because the deep state just wants convictions against patriots like the Oath Keepers. So I think it's Come a mixed bag. Now, we're waiting on a verdict for Rose. So when are we expected to find out what his punishment is? So his sentencing date and the other four co-defendants, all of whom were convicted of multiple counts, will be put out about eight weeks in the future. Why is that? Because the way the federal system works, there will, there will now be a pre-sentence report that is authored that digs into the, the criminal history of the defendants, um, the, uh, all of the life circumstances of the defendants, education, work experience, finances, family, and all of that is packaged up for the judge. So the judge can have a complete picture of the offender before the judge proceeds to sentencing. That's why these are pretty drawn, long drawn out affairs between the time of conviction and the time of sentencing. Okay, let's finish off with this. You'd mentioned that you'd spent uh, weeks in that trial room for the Stuart Rose trial. What was what was the moment, um, the most memorable moment from that trial, or the moment that you knew that um, things were definitely not going well for him, or, or, or if if, uh, if you were able to. to preview this type of uh, conviction getting passed out. Yeah, so when when Elmer himself took the stand and began to testify, I would say rarely, particularly in big trials, do defendants choose to testify because then, you know, the prosecutors will cross-examine them to death. And these prosecutors did precisely that. But even before the prosecutors got to cross-examination, it became apparent that Elmer thought he was the smartest man in the room, including smarter than the jurors, and he tried to let the jurors know that at every turn. That never plays well with the jury. I mean, when he said, I determined the election was unconstitutional, and I, make, I can't make this up, he turns to the jury and he says, and I'm a constitutional expert. <laughs> Who made Elmer the arbiter of whether a presidential election 
is constitutional or not. And then once he decided it was unconstitutional, he got to use violence to change the result. When he started saying these things, um, he said I did it from a place of patriotism because it really was unconstitutional. Just trust me. I knew that they were not really all that enamored of Elmer Stewart Rose, and I felt like the whole case slipped away. Two other defendants took the stand, and frankly, they didn't fare much better. Uh, the, the remaining two defendants at least had the good sense to not take the stand, and, you know, they, they didn't really fare much better at the end of the day, because all of these defendants were convicted of multiple counts. You know, it starts to become apparent that while these guys are kind of entrenched in their own in their own bubbles with their members and their own, you know, social media sites and everything, they really do get high on their own supply to the point where, again, like you said, they end up in the courtroom uh, making themselves the arbiters of all things, uh, of all things uh, uh, constitutional or true. So, um, with that said, we'll leave it there. Obviously, a lot more to come. So, if you want to continue hearing from Glenn and I, uh, make sure to subscribe to both of our channels. The links are right here on the screen. I'm Brian Tyler Cohen, and I'm Glenn Kirk. Right. Glenn Kirshner is awesome. Let's let's pull up because I was busy with my skips array. With my coids. My MNOs. Strong evidentiary argument that Donald Trump was part of this conspiracy. Did Donald Trump incite the attack on the Capitol? And is that a crime? All day long. And those are some of the charges that I expect will be coming, currently of Jack Smith. Okay, so I want to come about this a little bit of a different way. Rhodes joins a guy named Jeremy Bertino, who is the former leader of the Proud Boys, uh, he was also found guilty of seditious conspiracy. Does having these two dominoes fall make it easier or more palatable or more evident that the higher-ups then, including Donald Trump, are, are charged or found guilty of something like seditious conspiracy? So, you know, the higher-ups, that's still an open question. But here's what these verdicts do. Um, these verdicts send a couple of really important messages. One, these verdicts are a victory for the rule of law over lawlessness. Thank you. These verdicts are also a victory of facts over propaganda, disinformation, uh -huh. and alternative yes. facts. Because these five defendants went into this trial and tried to convince the jury that they were patriots. They were trying to set right a stolen election, a rigged election, and they were doing the patriotic thing. And by their verdicts, the jury said, no, y'all are not patriots, y'all are traitors. In substance, that's what this jury said. The other thing that these verdicts do that's really important is they will stiffen the spine of some and they will weaken the spine of others. What do I mean by that? They will stiffen the spines of the high DOJ officials who took a chance on bringing seditious conspiracy charges. This this was not a sure winner for the federal prosecutors, but they won. That will embolden other you know, decisions that are close calls that have to be made at the upper echelons of the Department of Justice. Whose spines will be weakened? Every other defendant who is now in trial in a seditious conspiracy case. Because remember, this trial was only against half 
of the Oath Keepers in that military stack that we all sort of infamously saw reaching the Capitol, right? Pending trial in seditious conspiracy cases, as are the Proud Boys. You may see dominoes start to fall. People are going to are going to say, look. The jury just convicted the Oath Keepers of seditious conspiracy for openers that's a 20-year prison term. I'm going to cut my losses. I'm going to plead guilty. I'm going to cooperate. I'm going to tell the prosecutors what I know about not only what my fellow Oath Keepers or my fellow Proud Boys did, but I'm going to bring it into the Willard War Room. And I'm going to tell the prosecutors what Roger Stone did, what Steve Bannon did, what Mike Flynn did, what Rudy Giuliani did, and maybe that then works its way up to Mark Meadows and Jeffrey Clark and John Eastman and, you know, the head insurrectionist, Donald Trump. Yeah. Now, that, that's how it impacts uh, these people on the legal front. But what about, what about the whole far-right militia culture moving forward? Do you think that these verdicts make membership less appealing or on the flip side do you think that it actually entrenches their beliefs and then they just get stronger i think it does both i think to the extent that you are a critical thinker and you're a critical thinker who is filled with hate and prejudice and xenophobia and misogyny and the rest of it if you're a critical thinker you might think twice before joining one of these you know, nationalist, white supremacist organizations like the Oath Keepers. Right. Like with that, with that said, I don't know that these uh, that their membership is rife with critical thinking in in the first place. So, right. But that's what I said. If you're a listen, you can be a hateful person and be a critical thinker. Yeah. And say, you know what? Uh, maybe I was gravitating toward the Oath Keepers, but it doesn't feel like such a good idea right now because what I will say is convicting. The head of the, 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 the Oath Keepers, Elmer Stewart Rhodes, a disbarred Yale lawyer, it will have a ripple effect. It will virtually shut down the Oath Keepers, and it may actually deter others from going out and joining similar groups. But as you say, it will probably inspire others. Why? Because the deep state just won these convictions against patriots like the Oath Keepers. So I think it's a mixed bag. Now... We're waiting on a verdict for Rhodes, so when are we expected to find out what his punishment is? So his sentencing date and the other four co-defendants, all of whom were convicted of multiple counts, will be put out about eight weeks in the future. Why is that? Because the way the federal system works, there will now be a pre-sentence report that is authored that digs into the criminal history of the defendants. Um, the, uh, all of the life circumstances of the defendants, education, work experience, finances, family, and all of that is packaged up for the judge so the judge can have a complete picture of the offender before the judge proceeds to sentencing. That's why these are pretty drawn, long drawn out affairs between the time of conviction and the time of sentencing. Okay, let's finish up with this. You mentioned that you spent uh, weeks in that trial room for the Stuart Rhodes trial. What was what was the moment, um, the most memorable moment from that trial, or the moment that you knew that um, things were definitely not going well for him, or, or, or if if, uh, if you were able to to preview this type of uh, conviction getting passed down? Yeah. So when hey, have you thought about joining the Evolve program? We offer the fastest path to pro art skills, and we can give you a college level education fraction of the cost Don't and the it. time. Our results speak for themselves. We've helped thousands of artists around the world go from art like this to their own uh, conviction getting passed down. Yeah, so 
when when Elmer himself took the stand <laughs> and began testifying. I will say, rarely, particularly in big trials, do defendants choose to testify because then you know the prosecutors will cross-examine them to death, and these prosecutors did precisely that. But even before the prosecutors got to cross-examination, it became apparent that Elmer thought he was the smartest man in the room, including smarter than the jurors, and he tried to let the jurors know that at every turn. That never plays well with the jury. I mean, when he said, I determined the election was unconstitutional, and I, make, I can't make this up, he turns to the jury and he says, and I'm a constitutional expert. Who made Elmer the arbiter of whether a presidential election is constitutional or not? And then once he decided it was unconstitutional, he got to use violence to change the results. When he started saying these things, um, he said, I did it from a place of patriotism because it really was unconstitutional. Just trust me. I knew that they were not really all that enamored of Elmer Stewart Rhodes, and I felt like the whole case slipped away. Two other defendants took the stand, and frankly, they didn't fare much better. Uh, the, the remaining two defendants at least had the good sense to not take the stand, and you know they, they didn't really fare much better at the end of the day, because all of these defendants were convicted of multiple counts. You know, it starts to become apparent that while these guys are kind of entrenched in their own in their own bubbles with their members and their own you know social media sites and everything, they really do get high on their own supply to the point where, again, like you said, they end up in the courtroom uh, making themselves the arbiters of all things uh, of all things uh, uh, constitutional or true. So, um, with that said, we'll leave it there. Obviously, a lot more to come. So, if you want to continue hearing from Glenn and I, uh, make sure to subscribe to both of our channels. The links are right here on the screen. I'm Brian Tyler Cohen, and I'm Glenn Kirshner. Because justice matters. Bueno, pero muy bien por Argentina, ¿no? Que está clasificado. Felicidades a los argentinos. Exactamente.